So we started a series two weeks ago titled C. And today is week three of this series. And on the first week, we talked about the fact that we need to see the need for Jesus. The need for Jesus in our life, the need for Jesus in the life of others. We need to see the need for Jesus. We have a quote from Pascal who said that there is a void, a vacuum in the heart of every man that can only be filled by God through Jesus. Every single one of us has a void, a vacuum that can only be filled by God. And not only do we need to see the need for Jesus in our life, but we need to pray for those around us to see the need of Jesus in their life. Last week, we talked about the fact that we need to see God's purpose in our life. Do you know that God has a purpose in every single one of your lives? God has a purpose in every single one of your lives. Purpose is when something is created for a reason. And God created you and me for a reason. And there is a purpose for every single one of you. As a matter of fact, it is the easiest thing that you can tell somebody, God's got a purpose in your life. I don't need to pray about that. I don't need to hear God's voice to be able to tell you that he has a plan for you. That he has a purpose for you. Because God does not make mistakes. And he doesn't make things by accident. You know, post-it notes were made by accident. Do y'all know that? You could Google search it. They were trying to make the most strong adhesive possible. And one of the iterations of that strong adhesive didn't stick long. Didn't stick well. And somebody said, huh, if we stick it on paper, we can make these little notes. And that's how post-it notes were made. Did you know that Hershey's Kisses was a mistake? The machine that made the chocolate broke and was doing a little drop of chocolate and somebody said it looks like the machine is kissing the conveyor belt and that's how Hershey's Kisses were born. Those were things that were made by mistake. Can you imagine what God can do when he does it on purpose? What he wants to do through you because he has a purpose in your life. A vision for you. And we need to see God's purpose in our life. And today, I want to talk about something else we need to see, but I want to start with a question. And here's the question. Are you ready for this? Have you ever been judged? Anybody here ever been judged? Come on. Been judged by being too young or too old? Being judged because you're too tall or too short? Too skinny or too fat or not as skinny? I don't want to call anybody fat. <laughs> that pastor called people fat. No, just not as skinny as others. Judge because of what you've done or what you haven't done. Judged. Every single one of us has been judged at one point or time or another. And if we're honest, we've all judged other people. And when we judge, we're looking at the outside. We're looking at circumstance, right? What does the Bible say in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7? This is when Samuel goes to anoint the king at the house of Jesse, and he, goes to, he wants to anoint Eliab, the oldest one, and God says to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
See, when we judge, when we look at people and we judge things, we are judging, looking at things from a fallen perspective. What do I mean by that? The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Everybody say all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you know what the word all means? A-L-L, like the detergent A-L-L, all. Every single one of us have sinned, fall short of God's glory. But God does not see us that way. We see faults in people. We see problems. We see circumstance. We see situation. Why? Because we see things from the perspective of fallen humanity. As sinners, we see things and we see people from the perspective of our fallen humanity, of our sinful nature. Therefore, we see the faults and the problems. However, God, he doesn't see the same way. God sees us from the vantage point or from the perspective of who we are in Christ. God does not see us from the vantage point of a sinful nature. God sees us from the vantage point of who we are in Christ. So the first thing that we need to change is this. We need to see ourselves as God sees us. If you're making notes, I want you to jot that down. We need to see ourselves as God sees us. Many times we judge people because we're looking at it through the lens of what we've done. Who we are, what we've done, what we've been, what we've been. And so we need to change that. Let me show you how how this works. I want you to open the Bible to the book of Judges. If you're looking it up, it's uh, Joshua, then comes Judges, then comes Ruth. It's the seventh book of the Bible, Judges. In chapter 6, we're introduced to somebody by the name of Gideon. And in verse number 11 of Judges chapter 6, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under a terebinth tree, which was in... Oprah, not the TV host, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now, so here's Gideon. They, 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 they're, he's threshing the wheat, he's separating the wheat, and he's doing it in order to hide it from their oppressors, which are the Midianites. So then God shows up, verse number 12, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our father told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. I'm going to tell it to you in English. God said, mighty man of valor. And Gideon was like, we suck. We're oppressed. We're put down. Where is this God? Where are you? Right? And then God says to him, verse number 13, verse number 14, sorry. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this night from the, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the land of the Midianites. Have I not sent to you? So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. 
God is telling him, go, and he's saying, I can't. I'm the smallest, I'm the youngest, I'm the weakest in my entire family. I can't do this. That is how Gideon saw himself. But how did God see Gideon? Verse number 12, mighty man of valor. Gideon saw himself as a weakling, as someone who couldn't attain it, as the smallest or the youngest in his clan. God saw him as a mighty man of valor. Church, we need to see ourselves as God sees us. If you've never heard the story of Gideon, mark it in your Bible, go back home and read the following two chapters. But I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. Gideon is told by God, go to your father's house and knock down the altars of Baal. And the Bible says that because Gideon was scared, he was a fraidy cat, he was a scaredy cat, he went and did it at night under the cover of darkness. Then God tells him, you're going to deliver, he tells him, I'm going to deliver Israel, and he does what we do. God, <laughs> give me a confirmation. Give me a sign. So this is the sign that Gideon asked God. Are you ready for this? He said, God, tomorrow morning, I'm going to put out a towel on the grass overnight. And in the morning, I want the entire grass to be wet and the towel to be dry. An impossibility, right? So he wakes up the next morning and he goes outside. The dew has covered all of the ground and the towel is dry. And Gideon says, oh, cool. Don't get upset at me, but I'm going to ask you for another confirmation, right? Like, let's just be sure of the sureness that we're sure. Says tomorrow morning... Let everything be dry and the towel be wet. So you know what happened tomorrow morning? Everything was dry and the Bible says that he was able to get the towel and wring it and water came out of it. And then he gets an army to go fight the Midianites. 32,000 men. And you know what God told him? The army's too big. Ask everybody who's afraid to leave. So Gideon goes up there and he's like, mighty men of valor. All right, man, that's what God called him, right? If any of you are fearful of the Midianites, you may go home. 22,000 people left. 32,000 down to 10. And you know what God told Gideon? Still too many people. Take them to the river and separate them in two groups. The people who get down on one knee, grab water in their hand and drink it, and the people who get down on both knees and lick the water like a dog. It says that 300 people got down on a knee and picked it up and drank. 9,700 drank it the other way, and God said, send home the 9,700. The Frady cat who saw himself as the least of everybody, who was told by God, I see you as a mighty man of valor, was then left with an army of 300 to fight the Midianites. Spoiler alert, God gave him the victory. With 300 men, God gave him the strategy and the victory because Gideon began to see himself as God saw him and not as he saw himself. So point number one, we need to see ourselves how God sees us. And here's the next one. We need to see other people as God sees them. Anybody here ever heard of this guy named Paul? 
Paul, yes, okay. Let me give you some Paul statistics. Paul wrote about half of the New Testament. He penned it, okay? There's 27 chapters in the New Testament. Paul wrote 13. Paul's the guy that was in the deepest innermost part of the jail with Silas, where instead of bickering and saying, God, why are we here? All we did was cast out a demon in your name. He was in that jail and he began to worship God and sing hymns up to God and pray and an earthquake broke his chains off and God set them free. I mean, this was a man who was mightily used by God. But do you know that not that the disciples didn't see him that way at the beginning? No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, if you go to Acts chapter number nine, go to the book of Acts chapter number nine, the fifth book of the New Testament. I will find it eventually. Acts chapter nine, starting in verse number 10. Says, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Now, Ananias was one of the chief disciples in that region. One of the most respected people, the Bible calls him, all right? And this is his answer to God. Are you ready? Watch. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. In other words, Ananias said to God, are you sure? Like this guy is out there killing people. God, you want me to go to him? I mean, let me tell you who Saul was, okay? Stay right there, flip one page or, a, or page and a half, well, two pages in your Bible. Go to chapter 7, verse 58. This is the story of when Stephen is murdered. He is martyred, okay? He is being stoned to death. Verse 58, chapter 7, book of Acts. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was the one giving the authority, the permission for people to stone somebody because they were talking or following Jesus. Go to the next chapter, verse number one. It says, now Saul was consenting to his death. Whose death? Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of all the church. Watch this. Entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. 
Saul went house by house. You follow the way, you follow Jesus, dragging them, men and women. He had a past. He had a past. So Ananias is like, God, you sure you want to use that guy? Like, you want me to go pray for the guy that has permission to drag me by my head down the street into prison? He was judging Paul, Saul, on who he was and what he had done. Let me show you something else. Verse number one of chapter nine. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. Remember, Ananias was where? In Damascus, okay? Asking for the synagogues of Damascus, that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Ananias is told by God, go pray for Saul. He's blind right now. And he was shown in a vision that you're coming to pray. And Ananias looks at God and says, I don't see what you see. I don't see what you see. So God's answer to Ananias in chapter 9, verse number 15, is this. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went. Church, we must see ourselves how God sees us, but we must see other people how God sees them. We all have a past. We have all sinned. But when we're called by God and we walk into the purpose that he has for us and we see what he sees about us, we will walk into victory. We must see what God sees. Paul went on to write half of the New Testament. Paul went on to speak all the way to Caesar because Paul wasn't just a Jew. You can read this in chapter 22 of the book of Acts. He details this. He was not just a Jew, a born Israelite who studied under Gamaliel, one of the top uh, uh, scholars of Pharisees, all right? Paul was a rabbi but he was a Roman citizen by birth. And God said, I'm going to use that guy to change the world. And you know what God says about other of us in this place? I'm going to use that guy to change the world. We must see ourselves as God sees us. And we must see others as God sees them. Church, we've got to cut the judgment of other people. Because of how they look, what they've done, where they've been, what they've gone through, what they haven't done or done. We need to stop judging people and begin to see what God sees about them. And I ask you this question. What does God see in us? What is it that God sees? Pastor, you're talking about the fact that I got to see myself how God sees me. 
He saw Gideon, the guy that saw himself as a weakling, as a mighty man of valor. You're saying we got to see other people. But what does God see? Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Starting in verse number 4. It's talking about Jesus here. He says, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Time out. If Jesus was judged and rejected, what do you think they're going to do to you? And we get so easily offended because somebody judged us. Because somebody looked at us funny. Because somebody said something. Jesus. Jesus called Matthew, the tax collector, and all the Pharisees, like he hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus called Zacchaeus, who was sitting up on a tree because he was short. I almost said the wrong word. He was short in stature, the Bible says. So he climbed up a tree that he might see Jesus. And Jesus saw him and said, yo, Zacchaeus, come off off the tree. I got to go to your house. And everybody's like, he's going to the house of a sinner. And Jesus said this, I came for the sick, not for the healthy. Church is a hospital. (laughs) I'm sick. And God's the only one that can heal me of that sinful man. That's what our church is. So we got to see ourselves as God sees us, see other people as God sees them. But if Jesus was rejected, criticized, put down, at one point Jesus looked at the Pharisees and says, man, y'all put down John the Baptist because he didn't drink and he didn't do this, and he didn't go hang out with people, and you put him down, and now you put me down saying he drinks and hangs out with sinners. Like, really? I mean, just hate everybody. Why? Because, again, man sees people through a sinful nature. God sees people through who we are in Christ. Okay, back to Second Peter chapter 2, verse number 5 now. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you, you, this is who God sees, all right, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. What does God see? He sees a chosen generation. What does God see? He sees a holy nation. What does God see? It says it right there. He sees a royal priesthood. 
his own special people. Do you know what the definition of his own special people means? It means the people who were purchased. Anybody here have anything that they've bought and they want to take care of? You know, my daughters have several American Girl dolls because they just love them. And God has blessed them and people give them to them, whatever. But Abigail, we gave her one and she wanted another one. We said, Mama, you get one. <laughs> so she started saving money. Every money she got for Christmas, every dollar she got for her birthday, anything she got for doing well in school, anything, anything that she got, she saved it. And she got to the amount of money needed for a doll. And we took her to the store. And she picked out her doll. It was Luciana. It was the American Girl of the Year two years ago. She's the one that goes to Mars and whatever, has the purple streak of hair and the whole deal, right? Quiz me. I know them. I know them all. <laughs> and she got her doll. And we made the line. And she went to the person at the front. And she get it, and then she pulled out her ones and fives and things, all her different stuff that she saved up. You know what doll she takes care of the most? Luciana. Why? That sucker's hers. She saved for it. She bought it. Church, you are his special people bought at the precious price of the blood of God's son, Jesus Christ. Who does God see? He sees a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. I'm a priest? Yeah, think about it. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, only the high priest could go into the presence of God in once a year. But because Jesus died on the cross, he tore the veil from top down, giving us access to God wherever we are, at whatever moment, as many times as we want. We're a royal priesthood. We get to go to God. A holy nation. Because we're good? No, because we've been sanctified. And his special people. Every day, we need to get up in the morning, thank God, go to that mirror in our bathroom and look at yourself and be like, yeah, you, David, right there. Just talk to yourself, right? You put your name. It's like, you're a chosen generation. Not because you're better than nobody, because God chose you. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are God's possession because he purchased you. You need to remind yourself and see yourself as what God sees. And because we see ourselves as God sees, we're able to see other people as God sees them. God doesn't see somebody who's broken. God sees someone who's delivered. God doesn't see someone from where they've been. God sees where he can take them. Man, there's people being used by God, reaching people that I will never be able to reach. And we see them sometimes and judge them because of the way they look or whatever. There's somebody here in our city that I had the privilege of meeting when he came to Christ many years ago. Many of you might know him by his name. His name's Rene Martinez, Level. Uh, 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 he's known very thing because he was the leader of the Latin syndicates for many years. He was a high-ranking uh, member of gangs. He was, I, I mean, there's stories and documentaries on him. And he came to Christ many years ago. I remember when he came to Christ and got to meet with him and talk to him and all this stuff. God's using this man. Going to neighborhoods in Compton, California, 
going to neighborhoods in the Bronx and in different places in New York, going to places down here where you and I and police won't walk into, but nobody will touch him because of who he was and telling people about Jesus. God's using his past. And I can't judge him and be like, oh, no, but look at him. Look, look, look at the way he looks and, and look at this and he did MMA and he did that. And I, no, no, I can't look at that. I got to look at the fact that God sees a redeemed soldier for Christ who is reaching people in places that I may never walk into. I got to pray for him, bless him, because he's a Paul of this generation. So I ask you, who's the next Paul in this generation? Is it you? Are you ready to see yourself how God sees you? The man of integrity and righteous who had a past but is no longer living in that past? The woman who maybe has scars and pains but God doesn't see that anymore? He sees the woman that's going to stand as an Esther before the king and say, let my people be delivered? Will you see yourself how God sees you? Will you see others as God sees them? Worship team, come up to the altar. Should call you up. Church, we need to see ourselves as God sees us. We need to see others as God sees them. And who does God see? What does God see? He sees a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. We must see what God sees. We must see what God sees.